Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Do you believe it? Come on. Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated this morning, turn to somebody and say, I believe it. He's done it. And that settles it. Amen. God bless you as you're seated today. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Is anybody else just glad to be in the house of God this morning? Woo. Glad to be in his house. Amen. We got a nice shower this morning. I don't know if you woke up. Some got it. Got a little bit of rain on this dry ground. And as I was praying here with the worship team this morning, I said, you know, it rained a little bit outside and just, just watered and nurtured the plants and stuff outside. Lord, let it rain in the house today. Let it rain in this place. Rain upon my soul. Rain upon my spirit. Rain upon me. Rain down, Lord. I just pray that the Lord would just continue to pour upon you his rain until your rain gauge runneth over. Amen. Amen. May your rain gauge runneth over in the name of the Lord. I want to welcome all of you here uh, this uh, nice July, Texas. Welcome to Journey Fellowship Church. If this is your first time, let me just tell you, it's real simple around here. We're just a family. And you showed up and you're a guest the first time, but after that, you just become part of the family. So I want you to make yourself at home. We meet some folks that are sitting around you. We come from all backgrounds, all all types of of uh, uh, of uh, different places we've come from. I know people we come from all over, and and God God has just assembled a, a wonderful group of people that just like to come and worship the Lord and hear the Word of God preached, truth heard, and and so we just thank you for being a part of our service today. And uh, we hope that it, you make it a permanent place to come. That you come and just make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. I want to just say this one thing before we change the order of our service. We are currently praying over a, a new ministry in our church that has the very potential to really, really impact not just our church, but impact our community. And we're making some decisions. And I want, I want you as a church, I, I'm not going to give all the details, but I want you as a church to be in prayer over this body about what God has in store for us. I believe, I believe, and I hope you believe this, I believe the best days are in front of us. Now, now, I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about you as a believer. You as a, as a, as a blood-bought, born-again, hopefully spirit-filled child of God that you believe that God's best things still lie in front of you and not behind you. That your first encounter with Him was just a taste. And the scripture says, taste and see. Let the Lord keep going back for more. I believe the Lord is preparing something incredible for us. Even in the world that we live in, God has got some incredible things in store for us. Because what the enemy means for harm, the Lord will turn for good. But we have a ministry that we're praying about that God has been stirring in my heart for some time. We're asking the Lord for proper direction to start this ministry. And I want you to be in prayer for our church because, like I said, this has a potential to, to radically shift our gear in this church. And I want you to pray with me about that. So keep, in, keep our church in prayer. Keep me in prayer this week as we make some decisions that God's will would be done. More than anything, that's what we pray. That the Lord, you would have your will in this church and that we would see people come to know you to enter into relationship with you Lord Jesus that's our that's our goal 
to have a dynamic change in their life, transformed by the power of God, like so many of you have been. That's our prayer. So pray with me in our church. And and if the Lord's willing, uh, I'll be making some announcements about this ministry in the next few weeks. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. The book of James. Not this James, but the book of James. I don't know, James, maybe you've written some books. I'm not sure. As you're going to the book of James, I want to just tell you that every year around Christmas time, our breakfast table becomes something other than a place for food. It doubles as a game table. It, it actually becomes a puzzle table. My family, every year, we drag out a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, and we put it together. Some years it's 500 pieces. Some years it's 1,000 pieces. Some years we get a little spunky and we try the 3,000-piece puzzle. When it iced in several years ago, we tried the 5,000 and we got a little ways in and we said, no, let's go back to the 3,000. This is covering too much of the table. We put together these puzzles. And I remember one particular year as we were putting this jigsaw puzzle together, it's kind of like a family thing, and we're putting this puzzle together. And as we're putting this puzzle together, we get almost to the end and I see the space and I start counting the pieces We had spent days and days and days. People walk by the table and they're just kind of, oh, I see that play out. There you go. Good good job. We keep on. That's kind of how it works. But as I sat down at the table, I looked at the hole in the picture that we were making in this puzzle we were making, and I looked and counted the pieces. We were short. We were missing some pieces. Now, that's frustrating. I don't know if any of you are puzzle putter putter together, Urs. But if you've ever tried to put a puzzle together and you got almost finished and you're just like, what, 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 I'm, you're missing a piece. Is that not the most frustrating thing? All this time and energy, all of this diligence, all of the eye searching, sitting there trying to cram pieces that don't fit. No, no, honey, I, I don't think that fits. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. No, I'm serious. It doesn't. All of that time. And you get down to the end and you realize that you're missing pieces. As we go through the book of James, you're going to quickly recognize that this book is filled with all types of imperatives, must-dos, things that you've got to have. James writes these things. Uh, matter of fact, there are more, more must-dos in the book of James than in any other book in the New Testament. You got to do this, do this, do this, do this. Because he creates this punch list. He says, look, these are all the pieces that are required for you to be a mature believer, to be complete and perfect. Now, if you have worked all this time on that puzzle and you're missing pieces, it's frustrating. As we go through the book of James, here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to ask a question every week. I want you to ask this question to yourself. I want you to say, Lord, is this a piece that I'm missing in my spiritual walk with you? Is this piece missing? Is this something that I need to work on? Is this something that I need to address? Is this something that I need to examine? Is this something that the Holy Spirit needs to really begin to, to work me over about? Because there is one person purpose in the book of James, and that is to challenge you to find any and all the missing pieces of your spiritual life so that you can become complete. Or in James' words, that you can lack nothing. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to present yourself to the Lord and say, here I am, O Lord. And he looks at us and he says, wow, you got all the pieces. You like nothing. That should be your testimony. And when you stand before him, I present myself to you, Lord, covered by the blood, washed in that cleansing flow. Stand before you, Lord. You have given me all things, as Peter said. All things, all good things have come from you, Lord. This is what you have made. 
This is what you've made. You see, you're not what you make yourself to be. You're what God makes you to be. And you're His workmanship, as Paul says in Ephesians. You're His workmanship. He is making you into that puzzle. And what we have to concentrate on is there are always, in all of our lives, a few pieces we might be looking for. So I want you to ask that question as we go through this book this week. But let me give you two warnings. Two warnings about spiritual maturity because I believe when we finish going through the book of James, you're going to be a better Christian. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be more complete. You'll have fewer missing pieces. You're going to know what to do and when to do it because you've gone through this truth and you've understood what God's Word has said. But let me just tell you about spiritual maturity. There are dangers when it comes to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, number one, if you're taking notes and I, on your handout, spiritual maturity is dangerous. It's dangerous. Oh, pastor, come on. No, 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 I'm serious. Spiritual maturity is dangerous because if you want to know what God wants to do in your life, just start looking around at the things in you that might be missing. Let me give you an example. Say you lack compassion. God is going to put you in a position to where you will be looking for someone to have compassion upon you. Maybe it's mercy. God's going to put you in a position to where you're saying, oh man, somebody have mercy on me. And he's going to teach you from the opposite side of the coin what mercy and compassion and grace really is. You see, that's dangerous. What if you lack, what if you lack faith? Here's what God's going to do. He's going to walk you blindfolded all the way to the edge and He's going to say, jump. I'll catch you. And that's a bit uncomfortable from those of you who have been there. Oh, that's okay. Keep walking. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. He's going to walk you right to the edge. That's dangerous, but that's spiritual maturity. When you can walk to the edge and you can trust Him with the next step. That's what it means. Spiritual maturity is dangerous because maybe you lack spiritual strength in your life. You don't have that, bless God, I'm going on no matter what. I'm going on with Jesus. If mama don't go, daddy don't go. Brother and sister don't go, I'm going on. Maybe you don't have that. You know what? It's dangerous to have that, to grow in that, because what he's going to do is he's going to run you to the end of that rope And you're going to say, man, there's not much left. He's going to say, tie that knot on the end and hang on. Spiritual maturity is number one, it's dangerous. But here's something else that I want you to see about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is measured by the Word of God and not by a comparison with someone else. Not everyone that grows old grows up. Not everybody that grows old grows up. Now, that's kind of fun and part of that, you know. I'll just tell you, since I've been at church this morning, I've been told by two people, you look old. Oh, I wasn't offended because they were all under the age of 10. It's okay. I can deal with that. Not everybody that grows old grows up. There's a difference between age and maturity. We understand that. That goes, it's the same as well in your spiritual life. I know people who have known the Lord for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. You just name, it goes on. They've known the Lord for that long, but that does not, has not transformed them into maturity in the Lord. And what we do is when we try to mature, what slows us down is because what we'll say is we'll say, well, you know what? I'm better than that guy. I mean, I'm going to church more than she does. That's not our comparison. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that We should look at ourselves measuring to the full and complete standard of Christ. Christ is our standard. 
Jesus is our standard. You don't compare yourself to the person down the row from you. You don't compare yourself to me. You don't compare yourself to your Sunday school teacher. You don't compare yourself to your small group leader. You don't compare yourself to the, to the elders of the church. You compare yourself to Christ. And when you're growing in, in your spirit, when you're spiritually maturing, that is your target. It's dangerous because the Lord is going to press you to the end, but it's also measured by the Word of God. And that's why for the next several weeks, we are going to dig into the book of James. We are going to know what it says, not just the the quotable quotes that we hear James say so much that many of you know. We're going to look at that spiritual maturity. So as we go through this book, We're going to discover the Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom that James passed on to those early first century Christians. I want to see that. And as we do, I want you to ask yourself, Lord, is this a piece that I'm missing? Every week, is this a piece that I need to be addressed? Is this a piece that I need to grow in? On that, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 1. Now, here's the thing. I don't normally preach out of... A paraphrase, I usually like the NIV 84 or New King James, but we're going to preach. I'm going to use this text from the New Living Translation because here's why. I want you to hear it in different words than what you're used to because if you hear it in the same words you're used to, you're going to say, yeah, I've heard that before. I know you. I know you. I know me. And if I was to say, count it all joy, when you fall into diverse temptations, I, I, you're going to say, well, I know what that means already. So I'm going to make you hear it in a different version. So you're going to say, wait a second. What's that really? Let me see. How did that say? Yeah, I'm going to force you. I'm going to force you to think about this text. James chapter 1, verse 1, New Living. It'll be on the screen if you don't have that version. If you want to read along, I hope you bring your Bibles. Let me just say that. Please, I'd like to hear more pages turning on Sunday morning. Well, there was no amens. I got one from the front row, and that's my wife, and she's paid to say amen. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Sister Shannon. She's got her big 80-pound Bible on the front row. She's turning pages for I know you have different devices and I know you've got phones and all kinds of stuff, but I hope you turn airplane mode off and you're not answering texts while I'm preaching through the Word of God or if you're playing, you know, balloon killer or whatever on iPad while we're preaching. Tell Pastor Chris to cut that internet off. No, I'd love to hear the pages turn. You need to know that. And, and when, you, when you use the Bible, and I'm going to say this in 10 seconds, when you use the Bible, you kind of know where you're at. When you're using a device, you don't know where you're at. You know where you're at. I'm in the book of James. I'm at the back of the New Testament. I'm getting the good meat before it's all out. We're all out of here, okay? So James chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This letter is from James. See, I told you it sounds different. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Now, before I go to the next verse that everybody knows in this room just about, that's heard before, heard you've heard it preached, I want to remind you of something that you already know. It is this. It is human nature for us to avoid things that we don't like. It's human nature. You avoid the dentist... Oh, it'll get better. <laughs> Some of you avoid your in-laws. No, I think I've got to go somewhere, honey. I can't, I can't, can't meet them. You avoid exercise. I'm not going to even point fingers on that one. Some of you avoid vegetables. How many picky eaters we got in the room this morning? Picky eaters? You're picky. How many of you are so picky that you have to keep your food separated on the plate? You weirdos. What is going on with you? It all mixes when it gets in there anyway. Just put it all together. Everything on my plate's like a cast. It's like green bean casserole. Just pile it all on there. You know, I'll just pick it up and scoop it like that. We, in our family, we have one of the most picky eaters on the planet. He's working with kids this morning, so I can talk all about him. 
One time I made him sit at the table. He was young. I said, you're going to eat those green peas. And you're going to stay there until they're gone. He did this. Three, four hours later. Finally. Finally, I said, look, I'm going to take this pea and you're going to eat it. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Are you going to live in the backyard the rest of your life? I was actually tired of him sitting in there, so I said, look, you eat this one. He ate one, and he, I said, that's fine. Picky. He just wouldn't eat. He wouldn't do it. He was very picky. What was it? It was because it's human nature for us to avoid the things that we don't like. Sometimes avoiding things won't hurt us. Sometimes when you avoid things, and they, it, it, it causes a negative impact on your life. And this passage right here that you're about to hear addresses that all-important question. James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4, and 5 addresses that question. And here's the, here's the question that you ask. Here's the question. Let me give you the question before I read the Scripture. The question is, what do you do when you can't avoid the things that you don't like? We know we avoid the thing. What do you do when it's out of your control? What do you do when things come to you and you can't do anything about it? Company's downsizing. Sorry, your job has been replaced. Or we're going to have to knock your hours down. What do you do? You, You have no control over that. What do you do when your 401k takes a beating so bad that you can't retire like you thought you could? You didn't have any control over that. What do you do when you lose someone that you love so much in this life and they're gone and now you're alone? What do you do? What do you do when you go from completely healthy, everything is fine, till you're visiting the doctor three times a week? What do you do when life suddenly makes a left turn and it did not consult you on the turn? It just happened. That's the question. That's the question that we all deal with. Everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. And along comes James, great brother James. And here's what he says. Here in this passage, he makes a statement that I'll just be honest. It seems so impractical and it almost, I hate to even say it. It seems impractical and it seems insensitive. James chapter 1 verse 2, it almost seems like, come on. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And you're sitting there listening to that in the crowd, and you want to raise your hand, and you want to say, Um, how can you say that? You don't know what my tomorrow looks like. I know what's coming up tomorrow. I know the appointment I have tomorrow. I know what I've got to go do tomorrow. How can you make that such an overarching, such a huge general statement and and not even hear from me? You don't know my story. And James is about to make that statement. James doesn't know what's going on in your life, and yet he makes this statement. Regardless of how you feel, we'd be fools to listen to Brother James or to not listen to Brother James. And here's why. He's got credibility. Let me tell you about James. We're going to get there. Some of you are answering. You're like, I turned the page, preacher. Come on, get to the word. Give me a second. This is a long series, all right? James has cred in my book. You know why? Here's a guy who is the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with kid Jesus. He knows Jesus more than most. He grew up with him, and all through those elementary years and high school years, James did not believe. It wasn't until Jesus was a man in his 30s that the younger brother James sees him crucified on a cross. And then most importantly, as Paul tells us, that he sees him rose from the dead alive after he's been dead. And let me tell you something. At that moment, 
Brother James has no doubts. That brother of mine, he's not my brother. He is my Lord. And I am his servant. He's my Lord. And beyond that, James becomes, for the next 30 years, James pastors the main church in Jerusalem, the church. He pastors that church for 30 years after Jesus rises from the grave. Now, if you know your history, you know that those 30 years after Jesus rises from the grave were not great years for people who called themselves followers of Christ. They had targets on their back from the Romans. The Jews, the Jewish people who looked at them as blasphemous, they ostracized them from, their, from, their, from the synagogue, they ostracized them from the temple, they ostracized them in their families. People who had businesses, all of a sudden their businesses were shut down because nobody would go. That's a, that's a Christ follower. Don't shop there. It got so bad that in the book of Acts, Paul tells us that he's taking up offerings in the Gentile world so that he can take back to the people in Jerusalem, the believers in the church in Jerusalem, to keep them from starving and having to live on the street. James is the pastor of that crisis. He's the pastor of seeing people's lives wrecked. He's seeing, he's seeing trouble not just come to him. He's seeing trouble come to everybody around him for 30 years. That's why he's got some credibility to say what he's about to say. That's why it gives me hope when I read James chapter 1, verse 2. Here we go. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Not if, but when. Trouble is a fact of life. It's the nature of things in this world. You see, when sin entered, it held the door open to sickness and depression and disease and despair. And because of sin, all of that entered. Jesus in John 16, 33, he says, in this life you will have trouble, not if, when. Heard somebody say about trials, you're either going into one, you've just come out of one, or you're waiting in the waiting room. That's kind of the way trouble is in our lives. But he says, when trials, when troubles of any kind come your way, literally in the Greek, it means when it takes you by surprise. In other contexts, this word is used in relation to be somebody being robbed. In other words, when troubles sneak up behind you and want to rob you, when they come your way, when they come out of nowhere, when you get woken up in the middle of the night from that phone call, when you get the bad news that you were hoping not to get, when your daughter or son calls and you can tell they're crying on the other end of the line, when you sit in the doctor's office and he tells you the news that surprises you and it caught you off guard, when trouble sneaks up behind you and wants to rob you, what he says. Consider it. Adjust your thinking. Reframe it. Think of it as, look at it, an opportunity. Look at that verse. As an opportunity for great joy. In other words, when trouble comes to your life, it is a source for the believer of joy. Like I said, it sounds impractical, but it's God's word. Now, let me just be honest. How can James say this to those poor, persecuted, starving, homeless Christians in Jerusalem? Much less, how can he say that to us? He doesn't know our story. He doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know my problems. How am I going to reframe that? How do I see trouble as an opportunity for joy? Verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Look at those first three words. For you know, or really it could be said, because you already know. 
Now remember, James isn't speaking to a bunch of rookies. He's not talking to a bunch of nubophytes, uninformed people. He's talking to people who have seen some things, been through some things. And he's saying, look, these troubles have, have, have snuck up behind you and, and, and they've, they've caused some distress in your life, but you already know you've just lost sight of it. You already know what you've lost sight of. And, and you know what? That's understandable because I'll just tell you, whenever you have trouble and trials and pain come into your life, whenever that happens, it's understandable because you become very tunnel vision. And your problem becomes the very first thought that you think about in the morning and the last thought you think about before you go to bed. It sneaks into your conversations when you're talking to your friends or on the phone to your family. That problem, that struggle is in there. You hear a song on KLTY and it just reminds you of that trouble. It helps you to relieve that trouble. That, but that's the trouble, that, that, that song, man, that's ministering to my trouble because it snuck up on me and it's understandable. To lose sight. When you're in the middle of a trial, it's understandable. And he says, look, you already know. You know. James says, just pause long enough and look past the circumstances and you'll recognize something. You'll recognize this, that your faith is being tested. You know what a test is? A test is a process of validating authenticity. You see, when you take a test, it's going to validate whether what knowledge you have is real or it's fake. It's going to determine how well you've really studied and learned. It's going to determine how many pieces are really missing. That's what a test does. For when you're... this fest is when your faith is tested. The trying of your faith, the testing of your faith. Let me tell you, nothing exposes the authenticity of faith in a person's life more than a test or a trouble. We would say amen to that, but we don't want it coming our direction. Nothing exposes us. A test or a trial. Your faith becomes more than something you have read about, more than something that pastor has preached about, more than something that you've studied. You immediately discover something about your faith. You discover what you believe. You discover what you really believe. You discover what you're pretending to believe. You discover what you've been taught to believe. And you discover what you have really never believed when you face trials and when you're getting tested. And in those trying moments, authenticity of your faith is made very, very clear. Not only to God, but to you and to me. Because when circumstances in your life begin to deteriorate, you know what else begins to deteriorate? All the fake and the counterfeit stuff in your life as well. Because there's nobody willing to stand for the counterfeit to go down for just something that's fake, that's not real. And James says there is actually an opportunity of joy in discovering something about your own faith and finding out its genuineness, its authenticity, that, in, that there is joy in discovering that you could not discover any other way except going through trials and going through troubles and going through hardships. That's the only way. And this perspective that you gain in faith stands in contrast really to a lot of silly teachings about faith that are out there today. Can I just tell you that this morning you need to understand faith is not how you get God to do stuff for you. Faith is not some Marvel superpower. Faith. Faith. Faith upon you. That's that's not what faith is. Can I just tell you simply, faith is simple confidence in what God has already done, what He has already promised, and who He is. That is where my faith is rooted. It's not in something that I can gin up or read up on. Faith is who God is, and that is not changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My faith is stable in Him because He is not changing. 
Ultimately, faith is just simply responding to God. Not trying to twist God's arm to do something that He wasn't planning on doing. That's not faith. That's wrong teaching. James says when your faith is tested, you're going to discover something about yourself. You're going to discover something about your faith. And you're going to discover something about your heavenly Father. So he's saying, so do this. Just step back and get some perspective of what you already know and find joy in the opportunity that God has brought right to your front door. Because he says, look at it. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Testing does two things in our lives. It First of all, it demonstrates whether your faith is real or not. We get that. But the second thing that faith that, that testing does in our life is that it produces something. It produces endurance. Now that word in the Greek is hupomene. You didn't know you'd learn a little Greek this morning. Came to church. Some of you would be just happy with the Greek salad. I understand. Let me explain this word. Hupomene, endurance, perseverance, steadfastness. Hupomene, hupo means to be underneath. Mene means to abide in or to stand up in. What's he mean? He means that when your faith is tested, you learn and you grow in the ability to wait, stand under, to abide under the pressure and the trouble and the trials and the weights of life. So instead of falling these and crumbling under the weight of life, you stand up strong and you begin to grow. Would you rather be doing this to life than be doing this to life? That's what it means to be tested in faith. You gain perseverance. You gain endurance. Hupomene. You grow in your ability to stand up underneath the pressures and struggles of life. You see, trials force us to exercise our faith. Now, we get that in the physical world. But it's also the same in the physical world and the or spiritual world because the only way that you can exercise and grow in your faith is to be put underneath weight. That's why so many people, when they go to the, gospel, the book of James, they say, I'm not asking for patience. I'm not asking for endurance, Lord, because they know what's coming. They've read the book. I don't persevere. I can do it okay. I'm, I'm all right. Don't want want none of that, Lord. That's a missing piece you can just generate out of nowhere, but I don't really want to deal with it. You see, in the spiritual, that exercising is not something you choose. It's something that's chosen for you because your heavenly Father wants you to grow. James follows that up with something that's just as powerful. Look at verse 4. These four words right here in this New Living, I love it. So let it grow. Would you just look at your neighbor right now and just say, So let it grow. Hupomene. Tell him again. So let it grow. Hupomene. Stand up under. Let it grow. You know what James is really saying here? Don't leave the gym early. Finish the workout. I like going to the gym. I like going in there and hanging out with the old dudes. I always do my best to finish what I start every time. And that's exactly what James is telling the church there in Jerusalem. He's telling us today, he's saying, don't leave the gym early. Let it grow. Don't bail out in the middle of the process. When things just get so heavy and your mind is just overwhelmed and you're just saying, God, would you please get this off of me? Don't. 
Don't leave the gym. Don't stop exercising your faith. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. In your lives, what God is doing through the trouble that many of you are facing and the trials that you are going through right now is at the very center of what God is doing in your life. Let me say that another way because I don't know if you got that. The very thing that God has chosen to strengthen your faith is probably the very thing that you're asking Him to remove from your life. But God is using that thing to grow you. I told you, spiritual maturity is dangerous. In other words, the tension that you're feeling right now, because some of you, you've, that, that thought came to you. You know what, you're, what pressures you face right now in your life. You, it, it, it's, it's right there in your front. It's in your windshield. It covers your windshield. That thing that's so tenuous in your life right now, it is at the epicenter of what God is wanting to do in you. I'll prove it. Think about what you're praying about right now. Every time you go to God in prayer, that gets mentioned. You know what? He has your full attention. Because you're running to him saying, Lord, take care of this. Do something with this. I gotta have I gotta have some I, I need some help. I need some help. Some of you, you haven't you you're not really a big prayer, but all of a sudden a trial snuck up on you, and all of a sudden, boom, man, you're at the throne of grace. Oh God, what has happened? Guess what? He's got your attention. And why? Because that conversation that he's been wanting to have with you had to come about because of that. God's using what you're going through in order to have that longer, deeper, more meaningful conversation with you about your own faith to grow you. Your trouble is at the epicenter of God's activity in your life. And James says, don't short-circuit it. Let it grow. It's an opportunity for God to work in your life. God is wanting to work in your life. Be joyful about it. It's an opportunity. God is working in me. And why? Here's the best part. For when your endurance, look at that verse, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. No missing pieces. In other words, James says, when you have all the pieces, you've gained the strength to finish, you will be perfect, complete, mature, needing nothing. He's saying, look, he is, God is developing in you a grown-up faith. He wants you as a child of God to start doing some spiritual adulting. God is growing you. So say, God, would you use it? Speak to me. Let me hurry. Because all that being said, James still had a hard time or people like us, we have a hard time finding joy in our struggles. So what's he do? Look at verse 5. James says, If you need wisdom, ask your generous God and He will give to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So what is he saying? He's saying, When your troubles come and you lack perspective and you don't understand, God, why is this happening to me? Lord, what are you doing in my life? What do you do? Get, you, you have to be honest. I mean, on, let's be honest. How many of you always know why things happen in your life? We don't. Things just come out of nowhere. They happen. And when, when trouble comes to my life, I usually don't say, Lord, give me wisdom. I usually say, God, give me relief. Right? That's how we pray against trouble. We don't say, Lord, teach me to become wise. Oh, God, get this off of me. But James says, if you're having a hard time seeing what God's doing in your life, ask him. Ask him for wisdom. Because here's what he's going to say in that verse. In verse 5, he says, because that is a prayer that he will always answer. Look at it. 
He's generous. He, he's not going to turn you away. And he goes on and begun to talk about, Lord, if you ask and you don't doubt, we don't have time to cover all that. But he, he, he says, look, if you don't know what's going on in this trouble that's happened in your life and you say, God, what's, what is it? Ask him and he will not ignore you. That's a prayer that will get answered. So let me summarize these verses. Here's my own little version. When trouble comes to your life, think of it as an opportunity to be joyful. Because testing of your faith demonstrates its authenticity. God becomes more real to you and you will have stronger faith in Him. So don't leave the gym early. If you feel you just can't do it any longer, you feel overwhelmed by it, in that moment, just ask God to give you wisdom and perspective that you can finish, that He will finish what He started. How many of you have ever met a person like that? I know people like that in my life. They are my heroes. They're my heroes. I have one particular friend very close to me. He's very inspiring, very hope-filled, faith-giving person. The reason why I was inspired by him is because People who get the no from God sometimes are more inspiring to me than people who always seem to get the yes. John and I were good friends. We'd been friends for such a long time. And he was one of my closest buddies, pastor friend of mine. He passed away about five years ago. He faced so much trouble in his life, but he faced it with such confidence in God. And as I look back at his life, he's probably one of the most influential guys that was the same age as me that I've ever known. Because I saw John's life when he got the yeses from God, and I saw him when he got the noes. And his faith stayed the same. I saw him in 2010 when he got that no from God. As I stood behind, beside him in the hospital at Big Baylor downtown in Dallas, where we watched the life of his young wife, the mother of his two children, lose a fight and pass. I was there when he got that no. I was also there when he got that yes, when he accepted this pastorate of a great church a few years later down in Houston, Texas. It's an awesome church. Great people. I was also there when he got that yes from God when a missionary family had a daughter who had never been married. And it wasn't because she was ugly. She was just saving herself. God had reserved her for the right guy. And she came along and was introduced to my friend, John, And they were married. Beautiful. He was in his late 40s when he had his, when they had a child together. It's awesome. What an incredible yes God gave him. I was also there when he got a no from God. He called and he told me, I have a a genetic disease. It's like a hybrid between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. I was there the last time that I saw him outside of a hospital bed as we walked through his, some of the land that his family owned up around, up around Nocona, north of, north of Nocona. And we walked out there and he could barely wobble. I said, man, do you want me to drive the truck? He said, nope. He said, I'm going to walk. But he said, you're my crutch. We got into the woods and he told me, he said, I can't walk, make it back. You've got to go get the truck for me. A few months later, he was gone. I was there when he got that note. For years or for months, we had been praying. 
But before he passed away, we had a conversation, and we wrote, he wrote some things down, and he, he wrote some things and, and called them my commitments. Let me just give you a few of them. One commitment that he wrote, number one, was I will walk with Jesus every day. The same Jesus that didn't answer your prayer when your, life, when your wife was dying? Yeah. The same Jesus that was there when you got that genetic disease that there was no cure for? Yeah, I walk with him. Number two, he said, I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. And he did. He said, I will bless my family with words, pictures, and videos. And he blessed our family with words, pictures. We got some of the funniest stuff that I have ever seen. He would, he would on his way to church, his wife's driving him. He's got to preach. And he sends me this funny video before I have to preach. It was crazy. And my kids know exactly what they're, because I showed them and they're like, oh my gosh, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. He would be viral on TikTok today. Number four, I will invest in my people for their good and God's glory, not mine. Every moment that he was alive, he invested in other people. He invested in me. He'd call me up uh, out of nowhere and say, hey, what's going on? I was like, how do you know? It's like, I just knew I needed to call you. Number five, I will let people love on me. When you get sick like that, a lot of people will come over and they have sympathy and compassion and you know, you're know you just like, no, 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 I'm okay. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let people do that. But this last one, it's the one that really gets me. He says, I will not give up or run out the clock. In James' words, he would say, I will, not let, I will let God finish his work in me till my last breath. You see, John's faith didn't reverse the consequences of a fallen world, but his faith produced courage and endurance in the midst of that fallen world, and it impacted so many. Consider it pure joy when trials of many kinds come upon you. For you know that the trying of your faith worketh perseverance, produces endurance. And when your endurance is grown, you will be perfect. And complete, lacking nothing. God can use your trouble today, friends. Just like he used my friends and others that you sit by in this room, he can use your trouble. So don't leave the gym early. Make sure that you have that endurance. It's a piece you need to complete the puzzle. Would you bow your head with me, Daniel? Would you come? I know for a fact there are those in this room who are facing trial in their life. It's like trouble snuck up on you just like I preached. Surprised you out of nowhere. And you're saying, oh my goodness, what in the world is going to happen? What you need to see is that this is God working in your life. Your confidence in him should not change whether he gives you a yes or no. Your confidence should be in the fact that he is a good God who wants what's best for you in all circumstances. And this morning, 
Here's my altar call. You're here in this room and you're facing trouble and trial and you're trying to make sense of it. And you say, Pastor, I just don't know what God is trying to do. I don't even know what to do. Would you pray for me that I would see what I'm facing as an opportunity of joy? Would you help ask, ask God to help me to find the wisdom that I need to, to see big picture? quoted it earlier. What the enemy sometimes plans for harm, God turns out to be good. He'll even use the lying, thieving schemes of the enemy to grow you. (laughs) Man, if I was the devil, I'd just quit. You're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going through a trial. I want us to make sure that we take the time this morning. If you'd like to come and pray, these altars are open. I'm going to ask you to stand right now with just everybody in the room. Would you stand? I'm going to begin to pray. If you want to come and you want to spend some time at the altar and say, Lord, I've heard this message of truth today. God, help me to see that there is there is growth in my life. That, Lord, you're using this for my good. And you want to spend some time. Don't Don't let lunch bother you. But I'm going to pray for you. As I begin to pray, if you want to come to one of these altars, I invite you to come. The Lord's going to meet you right here. Father, I just pray that, Lord, this morning, Lord, as all of these people, Lord God, who stand before me, Lord, as they, Lord God, bow their heads before you, and, Lord, they look to you as their strength and their source. At the same moment, Lord, they ask questions, Lord. They are trying to figure things out, weights upon their life, Lord, whether it's job situations or health problems, Lord, or financial conundrums, Lord, whatever it is. Oh, God, I pray that, Lord, that you would let them have the perspective that you give. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.